Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Ross Everett, who is a, an, a performer from LA. We shared a venue in the Adelaide Fringe and we ended up sharing a dressing room and talking a lot about his kind of life and his experiences. He, did, he was doing a show about self-help, sort of a loving homage tribute thing and I spoke to him a lot about his experiences with self-help and the things that worked, the things that didn't work. His combination of sort of open-hearted, uncynical embrace and some scepticism that he managed to sustain through the process of doing all sorts of different self-help things, from Tony Robbins to Landmark to various sort of spiritual ones. Anyway, I wanted to talk to him about that and I did. We were sitting in the State Library of Melbourne and... uh, there's a few times when an alarm goes off in the background where somebody is presumably trying to steal a book, but I don't think it distracts too much. It's not every five seconds. So um, that aside, Melbourne coming up, I am doing the Melbourne International Comedy Festival every night, 9.30 at the Chinese Museum, which is a new venue, except Sundays when it's 8.30 and Mondays when it is not on. No Mondays. So... If you can find the Chinese Museum, please come, please see my show. It's becoming good as after running it through the unfortunate practice boyfriend of Adelaide. I'm afraid Adelaide cops the hit for a lot of comedians running in a new show. Sometimes Perth does that. For me, it was Adelaide this year. And I'm very, very grateful to that. I'm also very grateful to everyone who's been emailing me, alicerfraser at gmail.com. Your constant support is a constant support. And uh, thank you very much to everybody who tweets me at Alliterative, people who contribute on the Patreon. It's a fantastic thing to do. Uh, Patreon.com slash Alice Fraser. If you can contribute, that's fantastic. If you can't, do not worry. Um, Just tell a friend about the podcast. You can still get most of my stuff. And if you really, really can't get it and really, really want it and really, really can't afford it, send me an email and we will figure something out. I'm sure we can revert to a barter system of some kind because I don't want you to want something that you can't have, unless it's, you know, universal power or eternal life or something unrealistic like that. Otherwise, I will let you get on with listening to this conversation that I had with Ross Everett. I uh, will see you next week. We're having tea with Alice. Uh, Do you want to say who you are and what you are drinking? My name is Ross Everett, and I am drinking... Maybe the worst tea beverage for an audio recording <laughs> in the history of this podcast. It's a, it's a, oh boy, I should know this. We just ordered it. Oh, they wrote it on there for me. It's a QQ, what do you call it? Qua qua? Choo choo. Choo choo. Uh, passion fruit green tea with less ice and no sugar because there's, there's enough sugar in the fruit, you yeah. know? You don't need this too much sweeter. No, and, and they've got all sorts of chewy sort of jelly things in there give you a bit of carbohydrate hit and if you're lucky you'll hear it throughout this podcast (laughs) i'm drinking a green tea with white pearls um because they're made of seaweed are you really yeah i'm always excited by things what are are the black ones made out of uh sago (sighs) sago from a palm really i think I'm I could be wrong on that. If the podcast is this for an hour, I'm okay with it. You're Just right uh, with me that? learning stuff about boba. I love sucking these things into the end of the straw and then spitting them against a wall. That's a. Uh, I won't do it in here. Please don't. We're <laughs> in the state library. I, I imagine that would get us kicked out pretty ASAP. Thanks for having me in the studio. Um, my, <laughs> my pleasure. I'm a very professional operation. Um, so Ross, tell mm. tell people what you do. What don't I do? That wasn't, that the, wasn't question. the question. Yeah, I'm a comedian from Los Angeles, California. I'm gonna have to not drink in the <laughs> middle of this. I, I'm already like stuck with boba in my teeth. I'm a comedian it's from okay. Los Angeles. I at various points will ramble, and okay. you'll have plenty of time Perfect. to drink. Give me like a nod when that Give happens. You a nod I'll go when to I'm town. Rambling. You'll notice it'll be when I'm rambling. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm a comedian from Los Angeles, California. I make YouTube videos, and I just did my first ever. Uh, show at the Adelaide Fringe Festival. Which I had the great privilege of not being able to watch but being able to listen to outside the door. That's how it's meant to be taken. That's how it's meant to be taken yeah, aesthetically and, and peering through yeah. the windows because we were sharing a room in the producer's hotel uh, in Adelaide and it is a sort of a, that show particularly was like a, 
a takeoff slash homage to self-help gurus. It's a great way to say it. The, the most accurate uh, review said that this is a self-help seminar dressed as a comedy show dressed as a self-help seminar. I like that, And yeah. it's 100% A babushka truth. doll of self-help comedy. Yeah. Which I find fascinating because I wanted to do something similar a couple of years ago. The show that became Savage, which was not self-help, uh, was originally going to be called Alice Fraser Solves All Your Problems in Six Easy Steps. Um, I have a joke like that in the show. Ah. Not about Alice Fraser, but um, I go out. And, oh, the show will change by the time the people listening to this see it. But I say, um, you're here because you want to change your life. And am I going to do that for you? And then I point to someone and they'll say yes or no. And I go, no, I am. And I point to someone else and I say, but am I going to need your help? Uh. And they go, yes. And I go, no, I'm going to do this all by myself. (laughs) So I fix everyone's life uh, within the span of an hour. And I send them back out into the world loving themselves wholly, completely, but loving me more because I'm the one that did it for them. I love that. That's yeah. beautiful. <laughs> That's and, and you drew that from having done a lot of self-help. Oh, yeah. I, I like, I've been in the self-help world as like a consumer since 2010. What made you decide? Peer pressure. Really? <laughs> yeah. So you had a friend who did one of those kind of landmark courses and culted you into it? or Kind of. Actually, it was Landmark, and it was uh, it was a cousin of mine. So I had a cousin who died of a drug overdose, and it really rocked the family. Mm. No one harder than it did his younger brother. Mm. And so someone had done Landmark who got someone else to do Landmark who got my cousin to do Landmark. That is the way that Landmark and the flu virus works. Yeah, both. Oh, speaking of the flu virus, did you hear that there was a study done that when the flu virus is in your body, you become more social because it, it makes you want to go out. And Fascinating. Isn't that cool? That it, well, it needs to survive. So it makes you go out and touch as many people as possible. That's incredible. Isn't that cool? So That's Landmark why is very you get similar. sooky and want hugs. What'd you say? That's why you get sooky and want hugs. Sooky? Like sulky? Like so- Oh. <laughs> We were just talking about the difference between Australian and, and the American culture. You don't have and that. We don't have Sookie. No. We have Snooky. You can have that, though. No, thank you. You could take that off I our know, hands. I know that particular phenomenon, and I'm not willing to take it. <laughs> it's like you fed a, a mogwai after midnight and <laughs> just turned into Snooky. Um, Terrifying. But anyway, wow, we, we just jumped three steps. Let me see if I can work my way back. We, so ju- we jumped three steps, meaning you were going to end up with Snooky? Yeah. <laughs> three degrees of separation. Keep going. Your cousin. So um, he called me after his uh, landmark forum, uh, which is like their base level. Mm. And he uh, invited me to come to his completion. And it was honestly like the happiest I'd heard him in a long time. So I was just like, yeah, man, whatever you want. And then at the the completion, they call it, or the conclusion, some word, uh, they're like, now turn to the people you brought and invite them to sign up to get what you've gotten. And so, like, three people that we came with, like, not not my cousin, but three other people turned around towards me and they're like, I think you should sign up. I think you're really going to have, like, you will love this. And there was one thing... In the, like, because they teach a little bit, like, during the completion. And there was one thing that I was like, oh, this is, like, really cool. Like, I really actually like that information. But I didn't want to sign up. It was, like, $500. And the whole thing felt a little weird. You're in this, like, fluorescently lit room with these two giant chalkboards and these words on the wall that don't, they're English, but they don't read like English. Mm. And uh, so when they turned to me and they started being like, I think you should do it. I think you should do it. I signed up just to get them to shut up. Oh, man. And earlier, my parents had been like, if you want a life coach, like, we will support you in that. And I'm like, why? <laughs> I'm like, what is... Have I not got my shit together? Or? I was working on The Tonight Show with Conan O'Brien. I was doing fine. I was 22 and doing fine, you mm. know? And for whatever reason, like, I, I don't know. But it, that's the way it panned out. And... I'll share the thing that, that I heard that I really like because it still to this day works. Yeah. And it's it's a statement of conflict. Mm. Like when we encounter something in our lives that we feel conflicted about, we usually use the sentence, I want X, and that's a variable, but Y. 
I want to go to the gym, but I don't have enough time. I'm conflicted. And what they said is that there's a lie in that sentence. Do you know what the lie is? Do you know what the lie is? Have you done it? you want to go to the gym. No. No, That's what most people say, though. But it's the word but. Uh It's the word that one thing is preventing you from the other. And if you change the word but to to the word and, they become coexisting. And I did that. And then all of a sudden, my brain just started giving me solutions to what was once a statement of... Intractable yeah, problem. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, that's a cool tool. Like, oh, yeah. Like, I want to go to the gym and I don't have enough time. And then you start to think about, like, well, what can I move? Can I get up earlier? Can I, like, just the questions that your brain starts asking around them coexisting helped you s- help me see the situation in a different way. So Worth 500 bucks? I guess I've been using it. If we t- if we look at things like I, that, I spent five hundred dollars on. I've definitely used that longer than I've ever used a PlayStation. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in the long run, uh, yeah, it was a good investment. And then so I did Landmark, and then at the end of the forum, they're like, "Well, now you have to do the advanced course." Yeah. And have to is wrong. They would they would say that's your story. Yeah. We're not saying you have to. We're just but adamant. They, I mean, I did. I, I came to the idea of Landmark from the opposite end in that I wrote an investigative article about it for a comedy website. Mm. So my first encounter with it was disgruntled people on forums going, they're bullies, they're pressurised, it's a cult, they use all of these manipulative tactics that are you know, f- both physical and psychological tactics mm. to break you down, make you uh, rely on them and make you think that they are the solution to your problems. And I think... I did a, a, a follow-up article on just generally cults and, and self-help things. And it's that thing of, it's not that they don't work. It's that often people are in conditions that they don't want to be in or in mind states that they don't want to be in. And almost anything would work. Just doing something to break that yeah. is, is all you need. Almost anything that's not bad will help you. But because it was such an intractable problem and this was the solution for you, it becomes the only solution for anyone. Yeah. And so then you get these very fervent sort of... It's like kind of religion is that yeah, way too. Yeah, proselytizers. Yeah, anything yeah. that you... It's like, you this know... This for me, it'll work for you. And so the, the first thing I ever said when I was in the forum, because so many people have done it and they all are like, oh, it's so good, it's so good. And they were all from these different walks of life. So I was like... I don't know what could exist that would appeal to everybody that's done it. Mm. So I stood up and I was like, look, I'm a little scared right now. Is this a cult? I can't think of anything that would cause this to happen. And they like laughed and a lot of other people were like, kind of like acknowledged that they were feeling the same way. And they said, look, if at any point you feel uncomfortable or you don't like what's going on, you're free to leave and we'll give you a full refund. And at that point, I was like, all right, I'll stay. I'll see what this is because it was like a money-back guarantee. And here's, here's the secret, by the way. If someone from Landmark is badgering you, say no. So many people just don't say no. They're like, oh, well, they have excuses, right? And mm. excuses can be talked through. But if you're like, no, I'm not interested, I've, that's the way to be clear, direct, and they won't bother you anymore. Yeah, but unfortunately you have to go to Landmark to learn that skill. To say no, <laughs> I know. I know. Um, so, like, the the whole thing about Landmark that is so interesting to me is that they teach really amazing... Uh, do I want to call them technologies, processes? Like, they, they, I mean, information. Do the they call them technologies? That's a really good question. Um, now that I've been in this world so much, I don't remember what they call them. Because you've done a lot of different kinds of self-help yeah, since. Yeah, I've done. And, and that was like the, the f- landmark was my first. And uh, it definitely helped me in mm. my life. And I don't think I lost any friendships from it. But there were definitely people that were like, don't invite me to the landmark thing again. But also when I did Tony Robbins, people were like, stop trying to Tony Robbins me. So I guess I just really get into it whenever I do something like this. But the the more I learn, the better it is because I'm not choosing one curriculum yeah and i'm not like 
I have a, this really cool bag of tools for self-help for myself. And if anyone wants any kind of like counseling or coaching friends, like I just have stuff that I don't even know where it came from. I can't cite my sources. I just know. Yeah. You've, you've, you've absorbed it. So you've done landmark. What did you do after that? Uh, after landmark, I took a year, two years, three year break. And then I actually did landmark again. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I did something called the Mankind Project, mm -hmm. which is really... Sexist? Yeah, right? <laughs> There's one for women. It's called Her. I wasn't allowed in that one. <laughs> but it was interesting to me is the Mankind Project um, is so much more of like almost like a Native American ritual. Like a lot of their stuff is based off of like Native American rituals. The They, they are very much about the directions the energies the colors associated with it and uh, in a sense like a form of spirituality and reverence for the earth was it specifically dealing with issues of masculinity in the there modern are, world yes or? it was so i feel like there is a lot of room for that there's an absence of that in our society that's what that's what their whole thing is founded on is that there's no passage into manhood in western society like in Judaism, you have a bar mitzvah, but even that is mostly show. But there's no and like particularly misaligned with our current ideas of adulthood. You're no longer an adult at 13. No, so it's not a, at all. I remember when my parents told me into teenagehood, which is a relatively modern invention. Hardly. I feel like I'm like in many ways still a teenager. Um, like when we were playing Dungeons and Dragons, like I was noticing, I'm like, why is my character like a, f a scared little boy? I'm like <laughs> I thought like I was like looking at my own psychology behind that. I, was like, I oh. mean, this is the thing, though. Uh, you, you feel like a 21 year old until you talk to a 21 year old and then you remember very quickly <laughs> that there's a lot of space between them and you. I know, but I definitely don't feel near 30. Yeah. But maybe no one ever does. I don't have a kid. I think that that'll switch a lot. Mm. I don't think we grow up until we have to. Yeah. Um, or like I feel like most so. people don't do anything until they have to. I mean, I, I was talking to my friend uh, Kirsty just before this and we were talking about consequences. And the unfortunate reality is that you have to give people consequences. Oh, someone's trying to steal the library. Um, Get them. I, like, I don't like conflict. I, don't, I tend to be of that sort of slightly Buddhist upbringing thing of it, if somebody has done me harm, it's my job to process it. Um, but very recently I've started to think that to hold people accountable is to do them a favour because they might not know or even if they know, they might not really know that what they're doing is wrong or harmful or, or damaging and to hold someone accountable and to provide consequences and to make it clear what those consequences are, not just cut them out of your life, but say, hey, you did this, this is what... Yeah, is. ghosting is like such a skirting of responsibility. Yeah, well, it's very, it's, it is very childish. And then if there's no... We get brought up in these structures of... Um, this is me rambling, so you can drink, by the way. Yes. Um, we get caught up in these structures Everyone at of home, school... Drink and university and all of those things are teaching you that there is, an, there is an authority that will act on your behalf if somebody wrongs you. You know, you go to the teacher if you're being bullied, you, you go to the university if you've had trouble. And in the real world, so then we get this whole idea that there are adults and we're children. In the real world, you, you a good analogy would be if you're in an awkward situation everyone's awkward all the time you your responsibility is to make things not awkward it's not that they're that you're more awkward or less awkward than they are it's a shirking of responsibility it's your job to make it comfortable if you can and in the same way if there are no adults in the room your job is to be the adult in the room yeah if you can well this quote doesn't really apply, but I love it. But our lives are a reflection of the... Re oh, boy. I can't even say it. Our lives are a reflection of the expectations of our peers. Mm. So if we're expected to be the most responsible one, we're going to be. If you're in a room with, like, a bunch of people that are taking care of... Everything's taken care of, like, you can slack off a little bit. And I notice that very much so. When I'm amongst a bunch of people that seem to have their shit together, I become the goofball. Mm. And like I'm there to bring the levity and like I make jokes and I'm not really paying attention. But when it's like wh if I'm in a room full of those types of people, I'm always the one that's like, all right, you guys, we have to get this done. Yeah. 
It's it's an interesting situation, not to get into comedy politics too much, but there was a recent thing on the kind of forums of comedy, which is... Comedy.com.au. Yeah, comedy.com.au forums, uh, where I was witness to a bunch of people doing what they were pretending was a joke but was in fact an attack on somebody else's professional reputation mm. where they said, oh, you know, whatever. Let's let's all count up how much money this person owes us as a joke. And I went in... Did the person really owe them money? I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know the facts of the matter but the reality of the situation is... You're accusing someone of a crime, mm-hmm. and I kind of, so there, everyone was sort of joking back and forth. A few people were treating it like a personal attack, really? you know, just being like, "This is really bitchy and mean." And I just went in and uh, I very rarely pitch in on online forums, but I just went and said, "Did you send an invoice? Did you send a follow-up invoice? Have you considered like this? This is not the way to behave in a professional environment. Here is the website for." claiming a small amount through the small claims court. Yeah. It's very it's very easy on their website to do that. Because it's so easy for this very social industry to be treated like a social environment. Mm-hmm. So it's like someone, you know, didn't pay you, then it's a personal matter and it's a bitchy thing and it's like all these subtle rumours and so on and so forth. In reality, it's a business. They, If they owe you money, you should invoice them. Yeah. If they don't pay that invoice, you send a follow-up invoice. If they don't pay that invoice, you threaten them with small claims court and then you go to small claims court or you just let it go. Those are your options yeah. in a realistic kind of professional environment. And yeah, it was that thing of coming in and I felt very much like the adult in the room, which I know is probably not going to do me any favours. I feel like you're really good at being like the adult in the room. The the vibe that I got from you, like from the moment I saw you and met you, is not like, oh, she's an adult, but like, you, I bet you like, you're well thought out. Like you see, you see things the way that like from this like million mile stare, you know, like if you said something about someone, I would just believe it. I'd be like, okay, because you're not quick to judge. I don't get that vibe from you. I feel like you get along with, like, almost everybody. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I... I yes. I, I try not to be quick to judge. I think most people are... I think if you align the incentives in the right way, most people are capable of doing terrible things. Mm-hmm. And likewise, if you align the incentives in a particular way, most people are capable of great things. And the only control that you have over that is... Like if you can be conscious enough of the incentives you're putting in place for yourself, if you have control over that, and if you don't, if you can take some control over that. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's being, like in this instance, if if they were being bitchy and self-indulgent and, you know, just wallowing in the pleasure of destroying somebody else's reputation, that's because no one's, you know, it's because there's no punishment for them to do that. There's no... There's no incentive for them to behave properly. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you, you, know, you don't get anywhere in this industry by being self-righteous, which is why I think I didn't do myself any favours by being a little bit... Are you well, self-righteous? Not, not so, no, I'm righteous, which is slightly <laughs> different, but can appear the same. I feel like other people would anoint you. Hmm? Other people would anoint you like <laughs> with oils. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like the... There's... I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I really like the idea of it, that there's a tribe in Africa that whenever somebody errors, right, whenever somebody slips up and commits a crime, they don't punish them. They put them in the center of a circle, and everybody walks around that person and tells them good things that they have done in the past mm. to remind them of who they actually are. That's interesting. Is, and I love that idea because, I mean, have you, have you taught children before? Yes. So the ones that, like, act out and, like, if you're, like, you know, like, stop it or, like, you're a bad kid or whatever it is, if they start to identify as a bad kid, they'll keep doing things that are in line with that identification. Mm. But if you are, like, no, I know you're not a bad kid. Like, I know you, like... 
you did this, but this isn't who you are at your core. You're actually so much better. They're going to start to live up to that expectation. We co-create everyone around us. Yes. There's, I mean, there's this interesting um, sort of scandal, whatever, uh, t- topic of conversation recently. A quite prominent uh, black feminist came out and she said, sort of made a distinction between the lived experience of trans women and the lived experience of, wi- of cis women mm-hmm. uh, and was immediately jumped on for saying, which she didn't actually say, but for implying that mm-hmm. trans women are not the same as real women. Which to me is an interesting discussion because I don't disagree. I don't, but I don't think the answer to is to call her a trans exclusionary radical feminist because I don't think she is a turf. I think the correct response to that, if somebody says, you know, the lived experience of trans women is to have male privilege for a long time and then, so they don't have those experiences like having some uncle look at your tits on the bus when you're 10 like -hmm. all of those things are part of cis women's experience that are not part of trans women's experiences although trans women have different difficulties growing up in you know with the male privilege that feels like a wrong done to them so they feel like there's a weird competition going on over who has it harder yes i do and my thing my my kind of solution to that would be not to attack this woman as a bad woman mm. or a bad feminist but or, or I don't again I don't think she's a great example of trans exclusionary radical feminism I think but I think for those for those people who are the solution is to go yes the experience of trans women is different from the experience of cis women in these ways but the experience of the experiences of cis women differ from one another so vastly that this particular strand of difference is not relevant. It's not the, the big thing. Like, my experience of being a woman is so different from the experience of a 14-year-old girl growing up in China mm-hmm. that the vast difference between me and, for example, Jordan Raskopoulos, who transitioned in her 30s, is no vaster than the difference between me and this girl in China so then we can all fit in under this umbrella while acknowledging that our experiences are different I think that would be a better a better argument because it doesn't immediately go you're a monster you mm-hmm. you don't understand like you hate women like blah 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 but, uh, telling someone that they're bad or wrong in that way is not a I useful get that all the time what being called a trans exclusionary radical yeah, feminist a turf yeah, no, um, I, the whole, you can't, you don't have a voice in this conversation. There's nothing that scares me more in terms of conversation than talking about feminism. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I'm my, my, at this point, like my approach is just like, I believe everybody. If you, if you say that your experience has been rough, like I 100% believe you. Yeah, I I don't always believe everyone. <laughs> but it's just like it's it's there's nothing wrong with like just like having like a little empathetic and a lot of times when people are saying I'm I've had it so rough um there's an element of like just wanting to be seen. Yeah. And yeah. just wanting to be heard. And so what am I going to like be like but did you really like no because that's just going to push them harder into this aggression, yeah. And I'm just going to be like oh like I'm really sorry to hear that. Yeah. And then hopefully... The, the yeah. idea that people don't have a place in a conversation, I think, is a very... Um, given given the infinite space, or all but infinite space provided by the internet, I think a ridiculous claim. I think, you know, you can mention that some voices are being pushed up over other voices, but I don't think you can ever say, shut up, you, you don't have a right to an opinion. I was called. I wasn't called. Wow. That just gave me some insight about how I perceive that whole conversation. Um, I was having a conversation with somebody and they said that chivalry is just another word for chauvinism. I don't agree. I don't either. But they did. And I remember thinking like, I mean, it really changed the way I interacted with women for years hearing that. And it wasn't 
like I felt very much untrue to myself. And In what way? Give me a solid example. Um, I stopped opening doors for women. Um, if I wanted to, if I was like on a date with a woman, I was so in my head about every move that I made to see if whether or not I was uh, infringing on her strength. And I, I have to tell you, there's nothing more crimpling than wondering about every move on a date. Mm. And I, I just stopped being and I started thinking. Mm. And I, I, you know, like it was, it was a situation or there were situations in which I just like, I became, there, there's a sense of paralysis in any part of your life. If you're afraid to do something, most people opt to not do anything. Yeah, I think the chivalry thing is an interesting issue because you're putting the cart before the horse a little bit. Chivalry came up in an age where the physical differential between male strength and female strength was more relevant. We didn't have cars. We didn't have mechanised lifting things. Mm -hmm. We didn't have, you know, police that were reliable to the extent that you that physical strength was no not relevant so it was important for men to look after women physically speaking mm -hmm. so a lot of that is a holdover from that and there was a kind of a, a crippling element to that as well in that you know women were not allowed to do certain things because they were precious and because they were looked after and that pedestal can be you know very limiting if you if all you're given to walk around on is a pedestal you can feel very yeah. constricted and there were abuses of power that took place as well but those things have become sort of formalized now chivalry has become formalized to a, a level of sort of politeness or manners again i have no problem with politeness or manners i think people who want to get rid of chivalry are assuming that the other battles have been won but they haven't we are no we are still not equal and you don't get equal from the top down like those things will be redundant when they are redundant you can't just go don't open a door for me let's work on equal pay first <laughs> <laughs> you know let's 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 deal with there is still it's still important for strong men to make space for women. That space cannot be made by women alone. It just can't. Because they're still, you know, you still walk on the street and a guy yelps at you and you are under physical threat. You are vulnerable to him physically. If I'm there with my male friend and he steps between me and that dude... That's still necessary. Well, also, the chances of that guy yelping when you're with a male friend are significantly Significantly less. lower. And so those things are... We still live in that world. Mm -hmm. You can't pretend we live in the other world yet. But threats and equality aside, from the standpoint of, like, why do I... A lot of people bring in metal to the, the library today. Yeah, today. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is a real quiet space. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, from the standpoint of just why I want to do that and mm. why like I feel called to do that mm. is it gives me a sense of purpose not of like you can't do this but like there's an element of me that just it really wants to give in those little ways mm. and I get to feel like I'm being of service mm. and like an exchange like a, an exchange of my value where do I stand as a human being and I really enjoy like doing things for other people and especially if it's someone that I'm attracted to or like like it allows me to feel in a certain way worth worthwhile yeah in a symbolic way when and again all of this is it's interesting to figure out how much of it is dated and historical and how much of it is biological mm -hmm. because that's always a difficult um, pack to unpack but 
if you're thinking about it on a purely biological level, small acts of generosity are important symbolic indications that you are a generous person. And if you are going to give yourself over to somebody, like to the extent of maybe having children with them, mm -hmm. you want to think that's a person who's open-hearted, who's generous without thinking about it, who will make my life easier. When I'm carrying two children, he'll open the door for mm -hmm. me without even thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Those are symbolic displays. They're, they're displays of like a peacock, you know, they're displays of I've got excess wealth, I can spend money on you, I can buy useless things like flowers or whatever mm -hmm. that are not for feeding you, they're just for your joy. Yeah. I'm interested in making you happy. All of those are actually relevant indications of somebody's character. Mm -hmm. And ideally, in an equal world, those will be coming from both sides. You know, from both the the lady and the man, or the man and the man, depending on woman and woman. Both partners, Non-binary yeah. partners. If you strip gender away, offering things freely is an incredibly important indication of character. Mm -hmm whether it's easing your path by opening a door or pulling a chair out or offering to pay for something or bringing you small gifts, all of those things are really baseline. Hey, I'm an open person. I don't see a problem with those things. The, the difficulty of generalizing, it's like I think if I were to try and boil it down to, it's just like I like the idea of, of giving to another person that I'm with what they want. Yes. So gender, binary, identity, all of that stuff aside, whoever I'm with, whatever they want from me is what I want to be for them. Yeah. So that, that's just kind of how I, the I as Ross, mm. feel valuable mm. in this world. It's like, can I provide? Whatever that looks like. Is it financially? Usually not <laughs> because I'm a comedian. But um, no, I want to get rid of that story. Um, but like it's it's I want to put to those that I'm around. I just want to give what they want for me. Like mm. in this moment, I want to give you a really entertaining, thought provoking podcast. Right. Well, you're that's doing well. All, oh, good. So that's that's like, you know, speaking about human beings as a whole is always like I'll say something that I think and then my immediate thought after that is like but what the fuck do I know I'm just me yeah but I think it's also important to have those unformed thoughts like to put them out there because otherwise they stay unformed they stay untested they stay untried they stay unhardened and you'll never know if you're wrong if you never voice a thing yeah so you know maybe it, maybe it's a matter of when you open a door be like is this okay with you like, it's not because I don't think you're capable of opening a door. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to, like, see, that That would put me back in my head. I spent so many years, and, like, this is, again, just me, like, I spent many, many years in my head. Mm. And the paralysis that I felt from that, um, I mean, it, it, it's, I don't like it. I like and and I come from my heart like that's that's exactly what I'm doing and if anybody says you've offended me um I I'm very quick to analyze what I did and apologize and correct mm. um but I find that I have to live from my heart because if I live in my head it it makes me an unhappy person and it makes me less of a, a I can't give my full self if I'm in my head my entire time that's interesting I think I think making it clear that you're open to correction and open to, th you know, maybe not specifically the door thing, but just like let me know mm -hmm. if there's anything I'm overstepping. Yeah. I think we need to, again, maybe ask people to hold us to account and mm -hmm. tell them that we're capable of being held to account because that is the fear for a lot of women is that if you correct someone or you reject a man that he will re respond violently or petulantly or aggressively I had a, a fellow comedian of a somewhat older generation but I bumped into him after a gig and said oh we should catch up for a cup of tea and he called me the next night and said would you like to come over mm. and I said oh no thank you <laughs> not being sure exactly what he was asking but also just feeling really terrible that I was rejecting him 
in that way because I wasn't sure how he would respond. Mm. There, was a, there was a fear there to saying, no, I don't want to come round to your house at night when I don't know you very well because I wasn't sure what he was asking and he hadn't made it clear to me that he was open to me saying no. Does someone have to make it clear to you for you to be able to say no? Uh, in that instance, yes. You should be able to just say no to someone f without an excuse. But I felt obliged to maybe a neurotic s level of, of politeness to go, oh, no, I'm not feeling very sociable tonight. Mm -hmm. Let's catch up in the daytime sometime. So you told a little white lie. Well, I wasn't feeling very sociable, <laughs> um, but equally I wasn't feeling like potentially fending off some thing. <laughs> like I asked a girl out, and um, I like f she talked around it, and I saw what she was doing. Yeah, and I wasn't gonna let her off the hook, not because I was like, like oh no, I'm gonna get it, but it was like, come on, tell me no, and. I've had, I've had, I was in love with this girl. Uh, not this girl that I just asked out. This is a separate girl. I was like in love with her. And I kept telling her in like these like kind of like little roundabout ways. Like I really think I'd like to take you out some time. And she was like, oh, one day you're going to meet your person. And like I just <laughs> had to sit her down and be like, look, like I am very attracted to you. I think you're the person for me. I need you to tell me. Do you think it be in that way? Yeah. And it was so hard for her. And this is very hard for people. In general. Well, as you said, with a landmark course. Right? Yeah. All you need to say is no, and so few people do. And she, like, and I told her, I was like, look, like, I'm not delicate. I'm not delicate in this sense. I can take it. And when you talk around it, it makes me feel like I need to be protected, and it makes me feel weaker. Mm. But by giving me the benefit of the doubt that I can take it, like, th that makes me feel, like, so much stronger. So she's like, I don't think of you in that way. And yeah, I was like, but you had to make space for her to do that. I did. And I think that that's like, th this has come from like years of self-development stuff. And I get like, not everybody's here. Yeah. But now it's kind of become like a little bit of like, a, like, I could tell this girl wasn't interested when I asked because not that girl that I was in love with, but this girl like in, in Adelaide, mm. I sent her a message um, and she came to my show twice. So I thought like, oh, like maybe she's interested. And I sent her a message like, we should go out sometime, go see a show. She's like, yeah, that'd be fun. We get a whole group together. <laughs> I said, yeah, you know, a group would be fun, but like just us would be fun too. Yeah. And you're making it clear that I that's what you're interested clear. in. Yeah. And then she said like, I'm not, you know, in a place right now, which it, like whatever she said, but she gave me the no. Yep. And the, the, like when people talk around it and this might just be ego, this might be whatever it is, but I'm like, have like, I, I love the respect and like the like i'm not a delicate flower in that sense there's nothing more terrifying than a m a person who comes to you with their hand with their heart in their shaking hands mm -hmm. because that's the level of sort of vulnerability that you suddenly become responsible for their emotional well-being the other day i was walking down the street and a guy in his probably mid 50s came was walking uh, in the opposite direction he stopped he skipped a few steps along with me and went, you are stunning. Would you like to get a drink with me? And I went, no, thanks, mate. Off you go. And he <laughs> said it with this, because he was so clearly just open and happy, I felt fine rejecting him because he didn't seem vulnerable in that way. It wasn't that sudden thing of like, you have power over my, mm. my life. It's such high pressure because then if you don't say yes, if you don't let them down gently, what are you doing to them? What could they do to you? That kind of passion can very often turn into resentment and rage. It's very high stakes. Mm -hmm. Or it feels like very high stakes because they've made it so. Whereas your thing of like, I'm not weak, you can say no, mm -hmm. I think is a better approach for any gender of just like, I'm open to rejection, but how about this? Just telling someone that you're okay to be rejected, that it's an yeah. option. Because if it's like, you or death, then you, it becomes this massive weight on your life. You're like, I'm responsible for this person's heart and yeah. I can't 
I can't say no because they'll be crushed and no one's that vulnerable. And if they are, then you don't really want to be in a relationship with someone who's that fragile because no. anything you do could ruin them. One of my favorite ways that I've defined, I guess, masculinity or strength in love um, has been the idea, like the image of me holding out my heart and being like, here's my heart. Break it if you want. Mm. I'll be okay. And I remember like, yeah, it hurts sometimes, but you survive and like you get so much stronger after every heartbreak. And like the first one, I'm very fortunate that I had my parents around. I still have them around, but like they were in town and they came over and watched me ugly cry in my bed. They like left an art gallery opening and came over and I was just like, I'm never going to love again. And they're like, just sat there and just listened to me wax on about how nothing will ever be the same and how I'll never love again. And then they just said like, we've been there. And I was like, really? I'm like, yeah, you know, you feel this way for a bit and you think it's going to go on forever. And then it doesn't. Yeah. And like surviving those things. We'll talk about like being forced to grow up a little bit. Right. Yeah. Those periods of pain are where growth happens. Growth isn't comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, that's a really interesting thing. I don't, I don't think that I have, I have that kind of relationship with my parents, uh, with my father, uh, or at all, I think. It's nice that you have. I remember having a friend, a guy friend, who cried because I'd hurt his feelings. Hadn't responded to a text message. And I remember feeling kind of a bit, like, put off by that. A, a bit judgmental. I was like, why? What? This is a... And I, wa- I immediately wondered, am I being sexist? Do I not think that men should cry? And I was like, oh, no. I don't think anyone should cry over a missed text message. <laughs> <laughs> this is non-gender-specific Stoic Buddhist judgmentalism. <laughs> You've got great names for all this stuff. <laughs> uh, uh, so my one good quality is having a wide vocab. <laughs> I th- so kind of back to the Mankind Project, which mm. is where all this stemmed from. It's... The, the whole point of that was to try and raise the level of masculinity in our culture because there's a lot of low-level masculinity, and that's like the people with the puffed-out chest, the ones that you can feel are overcompensating with something that aren't owning who they are. What you think of as toxic masculinity. Exactly. Masculinity that's all about a display of potential violence, really, one way or another. The true masculine, you'll never fear... You'll never feel unsafe around, I think. Actually, true masculine is the epitome of safety. Um, and that's that's why when you say stuff like, I don't want to make this enrage this man, it's the fear of a low level of masculinity. High... High, high levels of masculinity, but like a low, if we're thinking Dungeons and Dragons, they haven't leveled up yet, right? Like they, they will retreat into an immature form of it. And like that exists and it, it is bountiful in this world mm. and it's an epidemic. And that like, if I had to trace, like I, <laughs> this is wrong and it's, I'm just going to say it so I could get it out. But I think like a lot of the problems that we have in our world and like mind you, I'm from the States. So I'm especially thinking about the people who are running my government right now. I think it's low levels Low-level masculinity. Low-grade. Low-grade. That's a great way to put it. Low-grade masculinity. And like I, I just really wish for them growth. Like in a, and because people that do that much harm have the capacity to do that much good. Mm. And I just really want that moment of growth to occur or those moments it's probably many yeah Uh, yeah, so like that's something that like I look at and I don't know how to deal with I don't know how to combat 
I don't know how to, because if you encounter that sense of masculinity with more masculinity, it just charges it up more and it goes into like a blind rage. The way to combat it is not with more masculinity. Mm. And I keep thinking about, have you ever listened to Ram Dass? No. It's a Western former Stanford professor went to study with like the Maharaji in India and became like this widespread teacher and he tells this story and experiments and truth about how he would um, go and he would like one of his things that he does is helps usher people out of this life and into whatever's after and he went to go sit with this one person who was in great pain because they had some disease and he didn't know what to do to work with this person but all he did was just work on himself in their presence and it calmed them down so whenever I don't know what to do, I just try and center myself and ground myself and hope it, hope it helps. Hope it, you know, hope it helps because the worst case scenario is it just helps you and they continue on their course. Right, yeah. At least someone's getting something out of it. <laughs> so what did you do after this masculinity project? I got real messed up. I, really? Uh, yeah. It, it, um, and I can't exactly say why. I don't know why. But I remember afterwards I was just in like a really odd space. Um, I thought I was cursed. Really? Well. In, along what vector? Uh, orally? Like the A-U-R-A-L? You couldn't like, hear like, anything? No, no, no. Of my aura. Aura? <laughs> it's, you so thought you had a bad aura? I d- no, I've always known I have a good one. People have like You told thought you had me. a dirty aura. I thought something possessed me. Because like my, I just felt off balance, off kilter. And part of it was like at the end of the retreat, they do like this ancient Native American sweat lodge ceremony. And this one guy was telling this story about how like if you do it on land that isn't permitted by the grandfathers, like you will carry around a curse. And he said that he like shat black liquid for a week. And I was thinking, like, are we supposed to be doing this? And I left that. And so like when I wasn't feeling great, I was like, oh, no, I'm cursed. Which is like total brain messing with me. The placebo effect does I know. work. Oh, terribly for me. Like I've, I've gone through logical. So did you shit black? I didn't shit black, but I I was like something something's off. Like something is has a hold of me. Yeah. Um, and also like I was in my Saturn return. Like to get astrological and all this stuff. See, oh I laugh. No. I know. Um, my next show is going to be about all of this stuff. So the way that I Please process this stuff. Please wear a wizard's stuff. hat and have, <laughs> have an astrolabe. <laughs> yeah. So the way that I process all my, I mean, like you could probably hear that like I have a little bit of an intolerance for my own belief in this stuff. It's all right. Um, but the it's way good I, to be internally conflicted about certainties. Oh, totally. And and I um that's why I developed this show is because I love. I love the self-help stuff so much, but I also realize it's entirely ridiculous. Yeah. So I'm like, great, I'm going to do it both at the same time. I'm going to make it super ridiculous, but also deeply love it. Well, what is ridiculous about it is that it works in yeah. part, is that we're so simple. It's that the people are ridiculous, that this stuff actually is the solution to people's problems, it's even though it's ridiculous, because people are ridiculous. We are, and we're wired in such a way where it's like the mind is the most powerful thing. And the mind, what is it? We only use 10% of our brains or something like that. But there's just like this whole unknown world within our heads and hearts. And like there's elements of like the heart that carry memories. Did you know that? My friend had a heart transplant. One day she was just like singing the song. And her mom's like, how do you know that song? She's like, I don't know. It just came into my head. And they talked to the widow of the person who's, who gave her the heart. And she was like, that was his favorite song. And I'm just like, oh, bigger things exist. It's fun to have whimsy. So anyway, I was feeling very like... I think like it's undeniable that things exist beyond our perception. I uh, hope so. Because our perceptions are extremely limited. The fact that you can look in a telescope and see things that you can't see with your eyes is an indication that there are things that we can't perceive. Yeah. Whether or not those things then impact on us is a different... Can you imagine if this was it? That'd be really boring. I like the idea that magic exists. Magic is real. Spirits are real. All that stuff. It just makes stuff so much more fun. See, my my sort of agnosticism on it falls along the lines of if 
those things exist, I do not want to tap into them. Really? Oh. Because if they exist, then they're not things that you can control. So why would you then throw yourself into the idea of surrender? No surrender. Yeah. No mercy, no surrender. I love the idea that we're all just (laughs) on a roller coaster ride and we think we're in control. And we are in some elements. It's like a choose your own adventure, but I believe in honor and discipline. You would have done great during the feudal times. Yep. I really, you should be on Game of Thrones. I <laughs> I'd do great at gutting some relative. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Seems to be like 90% of Game of Thrones is underage girls getting raped Gutted. by their relatives. That was Horrifying. one scene, right? In the books, there's a lot. Oh, oh yeah. I, I'm one of those thick scold people that just read the read the movies <laughs> can't even say watch the show i just call it reading the movies um so after the mankind project i was all like loopy and weird and there was this one woman in the audience uh i sat down next to her like before this like closing ceremony started which was like you invite your friends and family these things seem to have a lot of inviting your friends and yeah, family yeah, yeah but you just share what you got mm-hmm. and I sat down next to her and her perfume smelled so familiar and it was very calming to me because it reminded me of my aunt. Mm -hmm. And I just like felt like, oh, there's like, there's something safe here. And then I got up and I shared, I was like, thank you guys for giving up your Saturday for coming to hear our experiences. And afterwards she came up to me and she's like, you know, that was very nice of you to say. And I was like, thank you. And she's like, are you okay? And I was like, you know, to be honest, I don't know. And she handed me her card and she's like, I do energy work. I'll give you a free session. Just, and at this point I was like, whatever will help. I don't know what, where I am, why I'm here or whatever. But yes, like whatever either my aura help. is grubby or I don't have an aura. But if it's grubby, then can you clean it? Right. Worst case scenario, I get to lie down on one of those chiropractor tables for an hour and nice. sleep. And during that session, um, like she put gems in my hands and uh, like on different parts of my body. And I just felt tingles and movement and things in my body tweaking. And I'd kind of say it out loud. be like, is this what I'm supposed to be feeling? And she'd be like, yeah, you know, this one's for the skeletal structure. And then, you know, there's a guided meditation element of it. And at one point I saw these like three white flashes Mm-hmm. And afterwards, she said, did you see any white flashes? And I was like, I did. And she was like, yeah, I cleared out your guidance channels. Whatever it was, whatever happened on that table, I have no idea. But something that I experienced was corroborated by her mm-hmm. without me having shared it out loud. And so I was like, open to the possibility of there being something. And also, that's way cool. Yeah. That's way cool. And I, so I, I like started to explore that element of it. So there's definitely like, I have a stone in my pocket right now. I, I think yeah, it's like, yeah, right. <laughs> what kind I, of stone? It's a carnelian mm-hmm. and it, um, it's for, it's the sacral chakra. And mind you, I learned all of this very slowly. I didn't are like you not, are you the one who's setting off the alarms? Do, 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 do. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's the sacral chakra is both creativity and sexuality. Mm-hmm. So I chose to bring that one on this trip with me because we were doing you something very creative and I wanted that go to bone town. And I, it was, um, like, I don't know, like I, like you can hear, like I'm normally very well spoken, but now I'm like getting tripped about my if thoughts. It's important. You sometimes seize up. Yeah. And I, I, I do love it. I really do love it and like I judge it the same way that other people judge me for it and I enjoy sharing about it because I kind of like it when people look at me like this dude's a loon you know he's like a little bit of a nutter it's good when you get a bit incoherent this what this podcast is about exploring difficult ideas oh perfect so yeah I have my own uh, so your conflict about enjoying this stuff being skeptical being simultaneously incredibly open to it and skeptical of it and there have been I've, I went way to the other side of it where I joined this um, community of people that believe in connecting to the source vibrations of the universe, <laughs> right? And um, I became incredibly afraid of leaving it. 
And that's when I knew I had to. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, like confirmation bias and in-group thinking is a very subtle and very powerful thing where if somebody leaves and then bad things happen to them or, you know, if, if bad things start happening to someone, it's because of something. Yeah. It's very easy to live your life like that. Superstition can be very powerful. Yeah, and I believed, like, I believed I was cursed. I believed my luck was down and so bad things were happening. Even after this woman did her flashy lights? Yeah, and, like, well, like she, she would always, like, work on me as a gift to me. So mm. I didn't want to take too much advantage of that. Mm. Um, and, but like this, like, like I found another way into like a program and, but I remember like I was like really afraid to leave and other people were afraid for me to leave, which is again, confirmation bias. And eventually I left and that night I got a really bad fever and I'm like, Oh my God, what a warning this is. I was like, what did I do? But I knew I, I knew I had to leave. Like I kept listening to like my, my heart, you know, like, and yeah, I was like, your I knew. guidance ca- cha- channels had been cleared out. So. I know. Right. So I was fully open to receiving 100, 100 kilowatts of guidance. Yep. So I'm like tossing and turning and I just started like getting this message, which is there's more than one way to God. Mm. and I just started laughing like of course there is because the reason why I was doing this program was because I wanted to be very successful Yeah. and I wanted the source vibrations of the universe to give me everything that I wanted and I would lo- I'd look at other people's lives and I'm like well that, I want elements of that and I want elements of that and I started getting very jealous of people that weren't in the program but still successful and I thought I'm a weak person who needs this extra thing in order to achieve greatness. But then as I was tossing and turning with this fever, it was more like they didn't use it. You, we, we have access to whatever this is all the time. If you believe it exists, you have access to it right now. And the idea of ha- needing to be a part of one specific community seemed became absurd to me. I think that's one of the first conversations we had, actually, was where we were talking about truth. And that there's a lot of different ways to the same truth. If you think about, you know, the reality or even beauty or maths as versions of truth. Mm -hmm. So, like, 2 plus 2 is 4, 8 divided by 2 is 4, 12 divided by 3 is 4. Like, you can get to the same answer from, with different maths. Yeah. And equally, you know, if you think of truth as beauty, there are different kinds of beauty. A cliff over the ocean is beautiful, a tiny newborn mouse is beautiful there are there are a lot of different ways to get to truth or beauty and to think that you have a monopoly not just on the truth but on the route to the truth is just sort of pointlessly silly mm-hmm. <laughs> because your your access to truth if you have it is not exclusive of other access to truth no and it's like my belief is that it's entirely individualized everyone's truth is entirely different and so you think of truth more like beauty in that it's not an absolute it's not a pinnacle on a mountain somewhere it is it's more like your perception of beauty different people will perceive different beauties i love that i remember i used to feel so bad not liking somebody back romantically Mm. thinking that i was their only hope to be loved yeah and then I would meet friends and they'd be like, this is my girlfriend. And I'd be like, I'm not attracted to her at all. Thinking, oh, there's, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, like, there's going to be somebody for everybody. And the, the, I feel like the, the loud, not the louder, but the, the more you are yourself, the better opportunity you have to connect with those who connect with you. Yeah. And the more you hide yourself the like you're gonna feel so alone yeah i remember having a similar realization when i went to cambridge of everyone there was who was single was sort of on the meat market and looking for very high quality mates in Mm -hmm. cambridge you've got these very educated very intelligent people from all different parts of the world coming together and just realizing that i did a joke about this in a show once of like 
the lion might be the king of the savannah. But if you're a giraffe, you don't want to fuck a lion. Yeah. <laughs> like you don't want the best person. You want the best person for you. Yeah. You want the person who is most matched to you. Yeah. Which isn't necessarily the smartest person, the person with the most scholarships, the person who comes from the most aristocracy. You want someone who suits you. Yeah. Also, it'd be really weird to watch a dolphin try to fuck a lion. <laughs> <laughs> it would be. Where can people find you online? Online, I am everywhere as the Ross Everett. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube as well. And I'll be posting uh, some videos about my time in Australia. Sounds excellent and awesome. Thank you so much for Thank having tea with me. Thank you for having me. me. I'm sad it's over. I know. We should do it again sometime. I'm totally in. I'll be in L.A. in September. I'll be there. 